Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Is big tobacco a threat to nicotine vaping? This is an old and touchy question for many vaping advocates. Most assume that at some point, tobacco companies acted deliberately to thwart vaping's rise. Yet today, big tobacco is positioned to drive the future of vaping. The question, is there room for both? Joining us today for part two of our interview is Jonathan Felt. For over 30 years, he's covered the tobacco industry in his role as a financial analyst for tobacco stocks. Jonathan, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me, Brent. So as mentioned, this is part two of our interview with Jonathan Fell, produced in partnership with GFN.TV. To find part one, head to the GFN.TV channel on YouTube and look for GFN Interviews Playlist. Jonathan, if you could please recap your background and experience with respect to tobacco for us. Sure. So I started my career in the early 90s as an equity research analyst, writing about uh, companies for investing clients. And uh, the sector I got given to follow was tobacco, um, which was a small sector at the time. Um, senior guys didn't want to touch it because it was too obscure. But for me, it was really interesting because it was at the time when uh, the US lawsuits were really kicking off in a big way. Um, lots of headlines. People genuinely did fear that the industry or think that the industry might be put out of business. Um, so it was great fun for me to get involved in, uh, in in watching how that story developed. And then a load of other businesses came along that spun out of uh, parent companies or got privatized in Europe. So I, I, I got the tobacco sector to, to cover for. And uh, it meant I had a lot more exposure to clients than I would otherwise have done um, had I been trying to follow a bunch of companies that were more respectable in a way. Jonathan, for the vast majority of people in the vaping industry, they don't work for big tobacco. They blazed a path of a whole separate industry, developed the technology, advanced its use, all actually pretty much in spite, you know, as an alternative and with a kind of a bit of a attitude towards big tobacco. Now, big tobacco, are, is it, are they really the future? What about the rest of the vaping industry? Well, I don't think that the tobacco industry is ever going to be successful in grabbing the whole of the vaping industry for itself. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's one of the things which will keep the industry innovating and exciting for consumers. And I think you, you see that across consumer goods, you know, markets are always less interesting when you've got a monopoly or an oligopoly because the, the companies who are the leaders don't, don't try very hard. They don't have to, don't have to try very hard to satisfy the consumer. When you've got a lot of people trying to grow their business, you've got a much more dynamic environment and, and consumers tend to be better off from that. So I, I, I really hope that whatever regulatory regimes we end up with around the world, don't create a situation that doesn't allow smaller companies to compete. Um, I think there should be room for all different size companies. Um, I don't think you'll ever get vaping, uh, a vaping industry that's totally clear of the tobacco industry, because how can you stop them getting involved? You can't legislate that, uh, you know, they can't sell these products. You can't really stop them going and buying interesting vaping businesses. I don't think you'd want to because that would remove one of the incentives to create a, a great vaping business in the first place. Um, but I, I think there's room for both. And I hope we see 
a vaping landscape that evolves over the next decade that still has room for, for companies of all different sizes. I can see why people involved in smaller vaping businesses dislike the tobacco industry. Um, I think you have that in, in, in most industries, actually. People like to consume products from smaller companies because in a big business, who likes biz big business? It, it's commonplace for you know lots of lots of people dislike big business for all sorts of reasons and and it's understandable but in tobacco the the obviously the other baggage which comes along is is the legacy image that big tobacco has and and the skepticism to the category overall that their involvement brings with it um i think that's very unfortunate i can understand why people don't like it but I don't really see that there's any way of avoiding it. Um, you can't pretend it doesn't happen. You've just got to tackle it head on. And if that means that in some instances you end up taking the tobacco industry's side on some of these debates, you know, maybe you've maybe you've got to do that and bite the bullet. And it's it's uncomfortable. But I think just taking the position that what ever the tobacco industry does is is bad is 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 not a sensible one historically jonathan has investing in uh big tobacco u.s big tobacco companies has that proved to be a profitable investment it might seem odd to to say it but the u.s tobacco sector has been one of the most profitable sectors for investors over the long run um over over many many years Almost whatever things have been thrown at these companies, they found a way to adapt and, and keep on keeping on. And they're still paying big dividends. And, uh, you know, we're now, what, 70 years after the date when smoking, when it became widely known that smoking was dangerous, and, and, and still these companies are there churning out big cash flows. So, yes, um, and I know it would be frustrating for a lot of people, but these, these companies have been great investments for the investors who would be prepared to own these stocks. And that's not in spite of say the billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, Big Tobacco has had to hand over to US state governments as a part of the Master Settlement Agreement? Well, if you think about the way that MSA was structured, the Master Settlement Agreement, it was, it was effectively a, a, another excise tax on cigarettes. Um, and excise taxes have been applied to cigarettes for a very long time. Oddly enough, even with the MSA payments added on to state and federal U.S. taxes on tobacco, U.S. cigarettes are, are quite affordable compared to cigarette prices in the rest of the world. So, so yes, there was an enormous amount of money involved in the Master Settlement Agreement. But guess who ended up paying that money? It wasn't really the companies, it was consumers. A question we've had for quite some time is wondering, is it true that, say, the master settlement agreement, this massive kind of excise tax, has put uh, state governments and even public health somehow in business with big tobacco? I, I, I think to the extent that states and other governments are getting revenue from tobacco, which, by the way, dwarfs the level of profits that the industry generates, and that's true all around the world, um, then, then you, you can always say that these people are, are 
kind of business partners of the tobacco industry. I think you can take that too far. I mean, do I believe that governments or provinces or states or whatever are actively trying to thwart efforts to reduce smoking? I, I, I think that's probably pushing it too far. But um, it is it is certainly the case that governments and states do make a lot of revenue off tobacco. What about governments and states taking measures to thwart uh, vaping in order to protect the money coming from big tobacco? I wouldn't want to, to suggest that the, that the main driving force for the skepticism that some governments and, and, and states have about vaping is, is revenues. I think, I think there are a lot of factors behind that. And probably a bigger one is the baggage that the tobacco industry overall brings with it and its involvement with vaping and, and this perception that vaping is, is another big tobacco scam. I think, I think that probably plays a bigger part in, 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 in why we've seen such a negative reacting, reaction to, to, to vaping in some parts. That said, I do think, uh, and, and I know that not everyone agree with, will agree with me on this, but I, I, I do think that's why the efforts in some places to tax vaping are interesting and not necessarily the big negative that uh, sometimes portrayed to be. Um, in that if they're done sensibly and you do give states um, a, a financial stake in the vaping industry in the same way that they do have in, in cigarettes, then you you create an incentive to, to protect that vaping industry and it's seen as somehow being more legitimate, I think. So, so of, of, of course, there's a, lot, uh, there's a lot that can happen that doesn't make these vaping taxes sensible. But if, if they're done in the right way, then I think they, they can actually help cement the vaping industry's presence as a legitimate industry. Let's take a look at Canada as an example. They've just instituted the first excise tax on nicotine vaping products just went into effect, uh, well, fully into effect two weeks ago. So that is good protection money that the nicotine consumer is paying to the government of Canada in order to secure a little protection for the industry from the government of Canada? That's maybe one way of looking at it, yeah. And hopefully that stops uh, the Canadian government from from pushing policies which in the long run, uh, you know, would, would reduce the level of, of, of taxes and cash flows that they can generate from vaping. We'll, we'll see. Jonathan, you mentioned that the amount of money that goes from big tobacco, the consumer to big tobacco, from big tobacco to the governments under the master settlement agreement is larger than the actual profits that the tobacco company makes? It's larger by a, by a multiple. Yes, absolutely. So government gets the biggest piece of the cigarette business in the U.S. Yep. Um, I'm, I, I forget offhand exactly what the U.S. numbers are, but if you look at the U.K., for instance, which we, and, and the situation wouldn't be that dissimilar, then uh, for every, every pound that people spend on a tobacco product, on a packet of cigarettes, 80% would go to the government in tax revenues. 
So, Jonathan, according to the National Association of Attorney Generals in the United States, the Association of AGs, which are the people, the offices that sued Big Tobacco in the 1990s, um, the total amount of money that's been paid since 1999 to 2022 from tobacco to governments in the United States is $152 billion dollars. Almost one hundred and fifty-three billion. It's enormous, isn't it? It's enormous. But if you, you know, and and that that would be smaller than uh, the amount that's been taken in federal excise tax. And uh, remember, there's the state excise taxes on top of that as well. So, so the the overall pool of settlement and tax revenues has been paid out annually in the U.S. is is absolutely enormous. What's your assessment of what's happening in the U.S. with regard to FDA, the pre-market tobacco application process? There are sound principles involved in making, wanting to make sure that new products that go onto the market are appropriate for public health don't end up doing more damage than, than the products that are already out there. But I think, to be blunt, the way that the FDA is currently approaching its job is just disastrous. I mean, if it wasn't such a serious thing, it would almost be, be comical, the mess they've got themselves into. And I, I think uh, the way that they are seeking to implement the PMTA process is just not really at all well thought through. And I think um, you know, it looks clearly to have been pushed off course by political concerns as well and political pressure. And I think there is a need for a step back and a complete rethink about the way they are they are approaching things um, because it's kind of farcical, the small number of products that they have uh, let through at the moment. And as you know, you know they, they appear to be attempting to, to, to ban flavours without wanting to explicitly come out there and say, we're banning flavors. What do investors think? Uh, I mean, is there scuttlebutt? Is there discussion with inside, you know, the financial trades and so forth about what FDA is doing here and the danger that they're presenting to this market? For most investors, the, the FDA process is actually just far too complex and obscure for them to get their, their heads around. So. I don't think it's very well understood. And I think um, people tend to regard it in, in a fairly simplistic way. Um, and so, you know, the bottom line for, for, for most people who invest in tobacco stocks but aren't, you know, haven't spent hours and hours getting to, to, to grips with all the ins and outs of the process is that, well, look, if the FDA is sensible and uh, and allows a wide range of vaping products onto the market that people who smoke can can switch to and improve their health substantially, then that's great because most of the big players in the U.S. tobacco market have a stake in vaping and they'll benefit from that. And okay, profit levels might not be quite what they are in cigarettes, but it's a much more sustainable business. So we'll win that way. Um, and on the other hand, if the FDA really messes things up and basically stops 
the, the, the vaping market developing properly stunts it, then uh, guess what? The tobacco companies still have their legacy cigarette business left. Uh, and that's quite hard to, to push off course. So these companies will be fine. I think, you know, whether you agree with that viewpoint or not, um, however much you might dislike it, I think that's the way a lot of the investment community actually approaches and looks at what is happening in the US market at the moment. It almost feels like we need to have, you know, a large vaping company go public onto the public market. So at least there's some somewhere investors could put their money in. And, I, you know, I know I'm just talking through my hat here. Yeah. Well, we almost had that with Juul. Um, but for various reasons, the disclosure on what Juul was up to was, was you know, was, 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 was never that great. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I think it, in some ways it would be helpful if investors understood these processes, uh, you know, better because the financial community in the US, Wall Street carries a lot of clout. And if they were more supportive of, of, of trying to get the FDA to do the right thing, maybe that might put pressure on them actually to be more sensible, but we're not seeing it yet. With regard to Juul, was it smart of them just recently in the fall and then in December, they've signed off on some very, very large settlements. Um, is that smart for them to do that at this stage? I think Juul probably didn't have very much choice but to settle. I mean, they, they are they are facing various existential threats. The main one being, you know, will they actually be allowed to sell their main product on the US market? If they can't, then they're, they are probably dead. Um, and so they're desperate for, for some help. Desperate, They were desperate, I think, for financial help, for financial backing. But who's going to give them any money to help them prolong that process if there's a bunch of lawsuits which they're going to have to fight eminently, which could bankrupt them several times over. So I think however however hard it was to stomach and whatever disadvantages there were in that process, because, you know, obviously when inevitably when you settle, there's an implicit admission of having done wrong, all those kind of things. So however, however galling it is, I think just the fact that it could br bring them some financial certainty and enable them to raise funds to keep the business going was, was probably just something they had to do. I'm gonna use a technical term here in television. I don't know if this is gonna uh, work with finance, but did FDA screw the pooch when it comes to Juul? Uh, well, I don't think you can pin the blame for what's happened to Juul just on the FDA. I think uh, <laughs> it's a blame that can be pretty widely shared. Uh, for that situation. I think the company itself made, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, some, some, some important missteps in the way it's marketing. And in particular, the, the kind of controls over who the product went to early on, which, which have done a lot of damage. Of course, the FDA does, I think, share a lot of the blame as well. I think if Scott Gottlieb or if Mitch Zeller early on had said, look, it's not great that youth are vaping, but Let's put this in context. Uh, look at all the harm that smoking has done to youth over the years. Wouldn't you much rather kids vape rather than smoke? Let's not lose sight of the benefit that vaping can bring the population as a whole. 
why are we just focusing on this obsession with with, with youth vaping? If they if they had been braver about how they had so had told the story to the American public, how they had addressed some of the concerns, put things in context, then I think we might not be in quite such the mess we're in now in terms of this this overall situation. Jonathan, I have to ask, isn't everything here about hooking a new generation of kids on nicotine? You've got to get new customers. No, I don't I don't think it's about that at all. Uh, and you know, I, I have that view very strongly. I think um when you're looking at how tobacco companies and the you know the wider nicotine industry are are marketing these products, in the vast majority of cases, it's done very responsibly to adult consumers uh, and and rather explicitly targeted to people who already use tobacco and nicotine products to get them to switch away from something that's uh, much more harmful. I think there's a debate to be had about how concerned we should be if young people, whether that's young adults or youth, take up vaping or, or oral tobacco, say. I think that's, that's a different order of debate. And I think, to me, it's very weird how obsessed people are with, with young people. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm certainly not saying for any instance that uh, young people should be encouraged to use these products. But I'm thinking people should be realistic about what the risks are and what the trade-offs are if, 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 if that does happen. In America, for instance, the number of kids who used combustible products was massively higher than the, the number who you know, were vaping a short while ago. And, and there wasn't anything like the, the, the media outcry that there was uh, about vaping. Um, you know, I think, I think vaping in, in kids is probably dwarfed by cannabis use as well still. So let's have some context here. Let's think about how kids behave. Let's think that you know, there are always going to be people who want to experiment with things. And, and the more you tell them not to do something, uh, the more likely they are a certain portion of people to actually want to do it. Uh, if it's people weren't vaping, what else would they be doing? So I, I, I think, unfortunately, the debate about youth use of these products is, is very polarised and it, it's not very grown up, frankly. I wish, I wish we could take some of the heat about heat out of this and, and, and just take a step back and, and, and think about what's, what's really going on. And, 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 you know, just very importantly, not lose sight of the fact that these products more broadly have the power to do a massive amount of good for, for, for adults and a large number of adults. Deep dive for a moment into the impact that Evali had on tobacco stocks and everything from your point of view. And then we're talking about the so-called vaping-related lung illness from 2019. I think Evali was as it was a very unfortunate incident uh, episode in all sorts of ways. Um, obviously, very sorry for the people that it, that it injured uh, above all else. But um, from the investment side, it, 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 it came at a moment which just piled a lot of pressure on tobacco stocks. Um, and just to explain that a bit more, um, 
when vaping first came along and the companies first started getting involved in this, um, investors were excited because they could see that it was a sensible thing to be doing, that it could do a lot of good for public health uh, and uh, something that would be supported. And then you had Juul come along. Um, you had all the furore that accompanied Juul. You had all the concern about youth vaping and this youth vaping craze. You then had Altria come along and do something I thought was pretty stupid. A lot of people did, which is pay a far too much for their for their stake in Juul. Then you had the regulatory clampdown. And so people started to think, oh my God, you know, what's going on here? We, we, we thought vaping was a was a was a good thing for these companies to be getting involved in. And now look what's happening. And then on top of all that, you had Evali come along. And I, I think at least for some people, that was the final straw. They hadn't got to that point already where people just thought, oh my God, you know, this is this is all going the wrong way. It's far too complicated for me to to get my head around. I just I just don't want to know. And so that that did at least on the investment side um, and on others as well. Very obviously, put back the cause of vaping by by I mean, quite some quite some way. And I think we are just through the passage of time starting to to come to terms with that now. But it was it was definitely a very negative episode for sentiment and did lead to some people just giving up on the on the vaping story which is which is really unfortunate now i'm assuming that means some people actually pulled their money out of the sector absolutely yeah and uh as you know there's been there's been a a, a trend towards people putting more money uh, in investment terms behind stocks and investments with, with a environmental social and governance theme esg and uh, so on, you know, on, on tobacco, vaping was was pretty much the one, the one good thing that tobacco, you know, one good part of the story that tobacco companies had to tell, at least, at least the tobacco harm reduction story overall. And uh, I mean, I remember having a conversation with with someone who was the ESG head at a big London investor. They said they'd been reviewing their, their uh, tobacco position recently whether they could own these stocks or not and they said that evilly was the final straw that made them think no this is this is wrong and it was because and this is very often the case in in, in the investment world you know people people's time is limited to understand a situation like evilly and and how that tied into the vaping story in the US and the regulatory thing and the youth vaping, it, it takes an awful lot of time and people didn't have that time. So people just look at the headlines and, and, and it takes a long time to recover from that, just as it does, I'm sure, for, for, for the wider public when they read those kind of stories. Who has time to do all the research and digging themselves to find out the truth? You know, if it's on page one or two of the newspaper or web page you're looking at, you, you tend to accept it as the truth, unfortunately. So it's quite difficult or illogical to expect that these people, these investors, uh, fund, manage, fund managers are going to know somehow that the CDC lied to the American public and the rest of the world for months and months and months and months and months, and months um, purposefully. Yes. That's one of the really odd things about uh, investing in tobacco, actually, and the tobacco discourse overall is is that 
in other fields, and you know, maybe COVID's increased scepticism generally, but I would say in other in other fields, if the CDC or the World Health Organization tells you something, you think, oh, well, they know what they're talking about. I'll believe them. Um, very sadly, in 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 tobacco harm reduction in vaping, the weight of those organizations carries a lot of weight. And yet they tend to be talking nonsense a lot of the time. And that that is uh, that's a massive challenge. Do investors know that that you can't trust all the time now these public health agencies? I think that is that is very poorly understood. Again, for, for obvious reasons, I mean, people. People have enough difficulty trying to work out what the right thing to do is just reading the, the, the sources you can normally trust. If, 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 if you think you've also got to work out then what, dig another level and work out what source to trust in the first place, then uh, the, the, the task becomes almost impossible. Would you bet on the future of this industry in the US? Yes, I would, I would bet on the future of vaping. Um, that's not to say I know exactly how it's going to develop or even approximately how it's going to develop. But, but I, the, the reason for my confidence is, is that you, you, you have such a large user base now. And I think that's a user base which, you know, whatever people say, they, they haven't been conned into vaping. They, they haven't been sold some line by, by a bunch of evil companies. They've got into vaping because they realize it's something they like doing and, and provides satisfaction and, a, and, and and keeps them off smoking. And once, you know, once you've got that grassroots buy into something, I don't think you can get rid of it. And I, I, I and I'm very pleased to see also, I think one of the great things about about vaping in the US is how how vocal consumers are and how organized and how professional they are in in making their case. And, uh, you know, they're up against some very, very deep pockets. But I, I, I think the extent to which that movement has evolved and, and been successful in getting its case across, and, you know, heaven knows there's, there's still a lot of challenges and, and a massive amount of work, unfortunately, for them to do. But, uh, you know, I think um, I do have faith that in the end, reason will win out and will get somehow to a situation where the regulatory environment does settle down, we have a bit more sense and where people can get hold of the, the products they want.